Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Uh, good morning uh, to you, or whatever time of day it is, uh, those of you online. I know a lot of people uh, reached out to me. They were out of town today, and so hopefully, not hopefully, you should be watching this. Good for you if you are. <clears throat> and so this morning, uh, we're going to start our series in the book of Revelation. You guys excited about that? All right, let me let me... Let's try this again. This morning, we're going to start our series in the book of Revelation. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Praise God. I am, well, I'm excited. I can tell you that. I could uh, barely sleep last night. <laughs> so excited to get this started. Um, and, and this morning, it's going to be an introduction to Revelation. Uh, quite frankly, this might be the only book of the Bible that requires an entire sermon for an introduction. And even then, this is like half of what I started with. There is so much information. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose this morning. A lot of terms, a lot, lot, lot of stuff going on. Um, I also put some pieces of paper in the back just to take notes if you don't want to write it inside your, your journal and you just want to write some of this stuff down, um, you can do that. But it is necessary to have an introduction to Revelation. Um, uh, and honestly, today is going to be more of a lecture than a sermon. I'm just going to be upfront with you. This, if you ever wondered what it's like to, to sit in a seminary class and just have some guy talk at you and just give you a bunch of information, that's going to be me this morning. But we must understand this book. It is different, right? It's different. It, it is so different. It has a unique style, language, and purpose. We have to understand all the numerous ways that it's like interpreted, that, that it's translated. And we also need to know before we go verse by verse what approach we are going to take. If we don't decide before we start the book what we're going to do with it, we will get lost. We, we, we won't get out of it what we're supposed to get out of it. We can't just go along and pick and choose how we're going to interpret stuff. This has happened throughout history, and that's why there's all these charts everywhere, right? That's why there's been all these people who have said, like, they could predict the second coming, and they have so far been 100% wrong. Why? Because they didn't decide before they started reading the style of it and, and the meaning of it and its purpose. How we interpret Revelation affects how we live our lives. Let me say that again. How we interpret Revelation affects how we live our lives. In fact, as we, as we look at the history of the church in the last several decades, and, and quite frankly, some mistakes the church has made, I think a lot of them can be drawn directly to the interpretation of Revelation in churches that didn't expect to still exist today, that we wouldn't be here. And look where we are, unprepared, right? Having to react to everything. When Revelation is saying, don't react. Here's what's going to happen. I'm giving you what's going to happen. There's no reason to react. Decide how you're going to live. 
Now, I arrived here um, just over a year ago. I have 14, 15 months as pastor, um, and, and so many of you have come up to me <coughs> and said, I'd like to hear a series in Revelation, or what's your view, what's your take on Revelation? Moreover, the first night we had youth group, we handed out a questionnaire to all the youth who showed up, the very first night of youth group, asked them questions just to get to know them, favorite food and all that stuff, but also, what would you like to know about the Bible? What would you like to know about God? I think it was something like 75% or so of our youth said, we want to know about Revelation. And with that being said, youth, I expect you guys to be paying attention, right? And this is not unusual in a church by any means to have this fascination with Revelation. It's been said, even surveyed, that the book of Revelation is by far the book that the church wants to hear the most. It is the most requested book. It's, it's what the, the, the church, uh, as the church in the pulpits, that's what they want to be fed. That's what they want to understand. However, and this is also true, maybe, maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, Revelation is the least book, the, the book that pastors want to preach the least. Isn't that interesting? Church wants to hear Revelation. Pastors do not want to preach Revelation. So why don't pastors want to preach Revelation? Why don't churches go through Revelation? Let's go, let's go through some of this. The first is that it's difficult. It requires a lot of work. I'm just letting you know right now. You must be familiar with the entire Bible. Hundreds of references to the New Testament. So many, uh, Old Testament, so many in the New Testament. You have to understand all of the Bible to understand Revelation. You should never tell somebody coming to the faith, start in Revelation. Don't troll them like that. You want them to come back, right? You don't start in Revelation Revelation is where you end, right? That's why it's at the end. Read everything else, and you're prepared to go uh, through Revelation. You must understand various forms of theology as well that are shaped around Revelation. You know, you might not think about that, but as, as, we, as we talk about and think about people's various views on theology, much of what people believe is based on what they believe about Revelation, Not to mention, as we will see this morning, uh, numerous forms of interpretation. Mm. You know, I, I, maybe I should have took a survey before we started where everybody stands. And so the good news is I don't know where anybody stands, so don't feel like I'm picking on anybody or I'm just agreeing with you because I like you. I love you, but I, I don't know where we stand. But part of that, that that's the reason that pastors want to avoid revelation because of controversy, because of disagreements. Here's the truth. I think we'll talk about this probably a couple of times. There is this, this distance, there's this chasm <clears throat> when it comes to the book of Revelation and what pastors believe and what theologians believe and what scholars believe and what teachers believe and what the people in the pews believe. There's this great distance that scares pastors, that scares elders. How do we cross this distance 
You know, and, and the fear is genuine. Nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants to offend somebody. Nobody wants to, to stand up here and tell you you're wrong, this thing you believe that's like for me, my grandma told me this is what revelation means since I was a little kid and somebody to tell you, no, that's not even close. Nobody wants to do that. Most American evangelicals view revelation through a new system of eschatology. Eschatology, eschatology meaning uh, the study of last things. Don't try to spell it. I should have had it on a slide. I'm sorry. Um, eschatology, the study of last things, the study of revelation, not just revelation, but Daniel, um, a lot of the gospels and Jesus talking about the last days. That, that's your eschatology. And most evangelicals believe in a very new eschatology that, um, quite frankly, has been informed by books like The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, um, by the Left Behind series. Anybody read Left Behind? Right? Exactly. And so that would make you one of 80 million people who have read the Left Behind series, or at least one book of it. And so the problem becomes, <coughs> for, for churches and pastors, you will have a church of people that has been more informed, their eschatology has been more informed by, by, by these stories than the reading and preaching of Revelation. And so it's scary, even for me. It's scary, right? So be, be, be praying for me. And so let me just say this now, as I will over and over, because right now you're already sweating, right? Whoa, what's, where is he going with this? The point of revelation is Jesus. The point of revelation is Jesus. He is the hero. He, he is the death-conquering lamb, right? He's the, bride, uh, uh, the groom of his bride, the church, defeater of evil, He's the currently reigning and soon coming king. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus. If you come out of this series and the reading and the hearing of Revelation and you are more worried or concerned about some secondary issue instead of the victory and glory of Christ, you have not read Revelation. Revelation is a gift to his church. It's about him and how we serve him in a world that hates us, right? Lots of suffering. We can't miss that. We can't waste time bickering or being angry at each other for holding slightly different views on secondary matters. With that being said, you also need to know that it's okay for us to disagree. It's okay today for me and you to have completely different views on Revelation. It's okay for months from now, whenever we finish this series, to disagree. As long as we agree that Jesus is worth suffering for. If we're wrong about a secondary issue, like when the rapture might happen or a certain timeline or symbol, it doesn't cost us anything. If we get that it's about Jesus wrong, we lose everything. It costs us everything. I'm okay with disagreeing. You just need to know that, church. Jesus is worth suffering for. Which, by the way, is another reason that revelation is not preached. <clears throat> this is a message of suffering, right? All kinds of crazy, beautiful, cool stuff happening, but whenever the people of God are mentioned, 
It's not like, yeah, and the people of God, they're just having a great day, drinking iced tea. No, it is. They're going through some stuff, right? And they need this knowledge of Christ to get them through it. This is completely counter, of course, to the health and wealth gospel of the Western church. It says, come to Jesus. He's so cool. Come to hippie Jesus, man. He'll be your best friend. He'll be your co-pilot. You guys will be buds. You're going to have your best life now. Like Jesus is the ultimate accessory. That is not what Revelation says about Jesus. As we studied in James, the blessing is Christ himself. It is not just a bunch of stuff that will lose value. It is Christ himself. And so what's interesting is we have this, this, this revelation, this message that is a comfort to the persecuted church. Our brothers and sisters around the world read Revelation in a different way. It comforts them. Oh, okay, this, Jesus knows this is happening. Jesus sees this is happening. Like he's going to wear his, his, our blood on him. That's how, how intimate their suffering is, and it brings them to Christ. But in our culture, it makes us very uncomfortable. Right? The same, the same tribulation that brings comfort to those who are suffering makes those who are not suffering uncomfortable. But as we will talk about over the next several months, um, it's begun. Suffering has begun in a way that I never thought would happen in this country. I've already seen it. But if we don't understand who Christ is, if we aren't rooted in Christ, if we don't understand suffering, if, if we don't understand the theology of suffering, when it comes, it'll drive a wedge between you and Christ. It will separate you from Christ if you don't understand suffering. What will happen according to the book of Revelation is that you will trade your life and your faith for the comfort and mark of the beast. Right? That's what Revelation is talking about. You are going to suffer. What are you going to do when you suffer? Not if you suffer. What are you going to do when you suffer? So then why? Why would we go through a book that, 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 is, that is so difficult and controversial? Right? Why would we do that? Well, for one, I would hope you would say, well, it's the word of God. Why wouldn't we? It's the, last, it's the last book, man. That's where everything gets tied together. That's where all the Bible, you know, culminates into a conclusion that not only ends, but then tells us where we are, what's happening to us today. Why wouldn't we read that? And as difficult as it is, Revelation is the only book of the Bible that contains promises to the reading of and understanding of and applying of its text. And so, multiple times, even seven times, saying, blessed are those. For what? For reading it and understanding it and keeping it and applying it. Um, turn to Revelation 1, verse 3, which Larry read this morning. <clears throat> blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so why do we read Revelation to be blessed, right? I mean, that's, that, that's a great reason right there. We read it to be blessed. There's a promise in that. Read, hear, and keep what is written. Which means, and maybe this is the first time I'm going to offend somebody this morning, 
which means you can't be a pan-millennialist. Have you guys heard that term before? Pan-millennialist. And so, um, A, it's not a real thing. But I've asked many people over my life in the church, because I've been studying Revelation for almost 25 years now, you know, what's your view on Revelation? And they will say, well, I'm a pan-millennialist. It doesn't matter. It's all going to pan out in the end. <clears throat> and yeah, it's a joke, but it's also not, right? People say it as a joke, but they also say it as, a, well, and it's also what I believe. It's too difficult. And so I trust God that it's all going to work out. And let me say with love that it's okay not to understand every aspect of Revelation. There are parts, there are verses, there are symbols, quite frankly. I'm pretty sure, but I am not going to tell you with definite certainty. Like, we will work through, you know this church, we go verse by verse, we'll work through some difficult stuff together. We'll just name it. It is okay not to completely understand Revelation, although I believe with all my heart in a couple months that we are going to be experts at eschatology. If you are willing to do the work, you are going to understand Revelation. And while it's okay not to completely understand it, it is not okay not to care. It is not okay not to try. There is no blessing in being intimidated. There is no blessing in being a pan-millennialist. That is not faith. That is being lazy. This is about Jesus. And we get excited about that. Is that not enough, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to his church today that's bringing us to him, preparing us to be with him? Do the work. It's not going to be easy. Revelation is also a practical letter. It's a, it's a practical letter. <coughs> it's as practical as it is glorious, as it is beautiful, as it is scary. Man, it's going to be some scary stuff we're going to see. And it's as practical as it is hopeful. Oh, man, is, is this book practical? Have you ever wondered what it would be like for God to send us a letter? You ever think that? Like, oh, here's a letter to Romans, to Corinth, to Galatia, and to, and to Bakersfield, the letter to Bakersfield, or the letter to Vanguard Bible Church, the Saints of Vanguard Bible Church. What would such a letter look like? We have it. It is the book of Revelation. It is the book to the local church to live for Christ and to aim at Christ. Let's turn all the way to the end of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 7. See, we finished it in like 10 minutes. How easy was that? <coughs> so Revelation, uh, chapter 22, verse 7. And behold, I am coming back soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Blessing from beginning to end. Blessing. If you read this and you listen to it and you keep it, blessing, blessing, blessing. And what an insane, beautiful blessing it is. 
receiving the crown of life, a new wardrobe, a new name, right? Uh, going to live with Jesus forever in, in the new heavens, in our new home. This book is preparing us for eternity, which means we must be serious about this. Are we serious? Church, are we serious about studying Revelation? Or are we curious? Serious, perfect. So we need to do the work. We need to do the work. Now, one reason that it takes a lot of work is that, it, that this book is symbolic. It is symbolic in nature. It is symbolic in style. There are a couple of views that would say that it's not symbolic, which God help us if it's not. <clears throat> it is symbolic, which makes it, this is what makes it interesting, right? This is what's different from reading any other book of the Bible. All these symbols are so interesting. This is also what makes it so confusing. That's okay, we're going to name it. Now, there are a few parts of Revelation that are not symbolic, especially chapters 2 and 3. I think very practical to the local church, but most of the rest of the book is symbolic. For example, and you don't have to turn here, but in Revelation 12, 4, when it says a third of the stars are going to fall from heaven to earth, that does not mean the stars in space are going to come down to earth. If one star came to earth, it would end earth let alone trillions of stars. So don't, you don't have to go outside covering your head wondering if Revelation 12, 4 is happening. No, it is symbolic. It means something. There is a truth there that is beautiful and absolutely true, but the truth of it isn't that the stars are falling. It's what it's symbolizing. After we read chapter 13, do not drive out to Morro Bay, sit on the beach and wait for a beast to climb out of the water. Right? Like, like a Godzilla character. Right? That's not, that's not what it's about. Does that make sense? Right? It does. I think it makes sense. And yet, even though we're nodding right now, yes, that makes sense. Of course that makes sense. There's no way that's not a symbol. At some point in the book of Revelation, almost everybody, for some reason or no reason, will say, you know what? I think this one verse is literal. I'm just telling you, don't be surprised if you were going to try to convince yourself that right in the middle of hundreds of symbols that you want this one thing to be literal, which means we need to decide before we start the book, what are we dealing with? Numbers, stars, lampstands, mountains, dragons, beasts, harlots, horns, armies, right? Fire, judgment, bowls. Those are symbols. Those are symbols to communicate a truth to us. Now, one thing that really changed my understanding of how to interpret symbols was I had, I had a professor named Dr. Matheson, who's one of my favorite experts on Revelation and... Um, New Testament Greek, he said to approach these symbols in Revelation like we would a political cartoon. <coughs> he 
Can we put up the political cartoon? And so, and I'm not saying Revelation is a political cartoon. I didn't say that. This is just for an example. <clears throat> Let's say this is the vision that John saw. How would you describe this? I saw four men standing, you know, looking over the sea, each one a little larger than the next. One had a dead animal on its head. One had a shiny head with a horn coming out of it. You know, how would you describe that? Someone had a torch that they were carrying, and it had the words uh, prosperity on it. Because, I mean, if you don't know what it is, how do you describe it? Imagine not understanding any of this and having to describe it. Imagine John seeing heaven, like the spiritual reality, having to describe it. How would you describe that? Now, how would you understand this? Let's say that you don't understand any of these concepts. What would you decipher from this? If, if you don't know what any of the symbols mean, and we just saw this, um, let's just say we have no idea. We've never seen anything like this. What would we decide about this? Okay, I think the big guy is tired, right? He's lying down. He must represent being tired. Um, he, you know, he has a long goatee. He's probably cooler than average. Um, he has white hair, wisdom, right? I mean, that, that symbolizes the wisdom. <clears throat> and so if we don't have the answer key, we don't understand what this says. Which means, in order to understand what this says, we need to understand what those symbols mean. Right? We need an answer key. Like, I don't understand this. Some of you, you know, this may be offensive, and I apologize if it is, but I don't even understand what it means. I, I understand some, some of it, okay, but I don't understand what that means because that's not, my, that's not my, my sphere. That's not my education. That, that is not the way I think. But when it comes to Revelation, we need to decide what do these symbols mean. And so is there a key to understanding what is being communicated in Revelation by the symbols? Because this can be the most difficult part if we're not careful. The key is the Old Testament. The key that unlocks all the symbols of Revelation is the Old Testament. Because I assure you, most of the people who originally heard this book read aloud, they understood with no problem they did not break a sweat. They were not confused. They did not bring out charts. They, you know, they just understood. It's not a problem. They weren't puzzled or confused. It was a revelation to them. A revelation. Now, revelation, we'll talk more about this next week, but revelation means, wait for it, revealing. This has been revealed this was, was, there was not shade put over this. There wasn't a wall put over it. Misunderstanding wasn't added to it. It was made easier to understand. What was, it was revealed to them what was about to take place. It was a gift. So why was it easy for them and hard for us? Why is that? Well, for one, we don't understand the Old Testament like they did. For many of them, that's all they had. Right? They may have had a couple of writings from Paul, um, maybe some other writings from John at this point, but they have the Old Testament. The other part 
that is difficult for us is that many people, including my family, is that they read Revelation with a newspaper. Right? What's happening in the world? You know, what, what chapter of Revelation are we in today? What's going on in Israel today? It's not going to help you understand Revelation. We need the Old Testament. There are over 500 references. I forget the exact number. Over 500, though, uh, Old Testament re references in Revelation. There are more Old Testament references in Revelation than there are verses. So that is your key. We don't do the hard work of going to the Old Testament. We will never understand Revelation. Even the New Testament, even the words of Christ will give us some light to the events of Revelation. Where in several times as Jesus speaks about these things to the people who Jesus was speaking to, when he says, when you see these things happen, well, now we know what he meant because of the book of Revelation. Otherwise, we might not have known what Jesus was talking about. And it's like, well, did that ever happen? And so even the New Testament, and that's to say, you do not need a source outside of the Bible to understand Revelation. And I say that as a guy who read about 50 books in the past year about Revelation, to come to that conclusion. You, you know, three or four outside might be fine, might be helpful, <clears throat> just to help you figure out where, where the symbols' meanings lie, but... Now, I like what, uh, there's another Five Stones pastor um, that I really like uh, named Lucas O'Neill. And uh, they're going through the book of Revelation. They are five weeks ahead of us. I told him he had to go first. <laughs> right? um, and actually, several Five Stones pastors have gone through Revelation. And we didn't talk to each other, but we figured out not only are we all going through Revel Revelation, but we're all preaching it the exact same way, which is, which is very interesting. Um, but he says this. He said, the problem with understanding Revelation is that we come, we have Revelation in one hand and a newspaper in the other, trying to interpret Revelation. Where, where, where Lucas says, what we need is Revelation in one hand and the Old Testament in the other hand. That's how we're going to, that's how we're going to understand Revelation. And so honestly, pastors, theologians, for the most part, would agree that Revelation has at least some symbolism. I lean more towards it's more symbolism than, than not. But this is where uh, the agreement stops, right? This is where it stops. Is it symbolic? Yes. Okay, what do the symbols mean? Now we have thousands of different views that now unlock. <clears throat> if you watch the videos that I sent out, you know there's four primary uh, views on Revelation that we'll talk about right now for a couple of minutes. Um, but uh, mark my words, there are more than four, and quite frankly, um, you have to borrow. Many people borrow from, from each one. There's, there's very rarely somebody who's absolutely just one thing, and I think there's a good reason for that. I don't think he can be. You know, I'll just say that to begin with. <clears throat> and so the first one is to view the events of Revelation in the past. And this is what's known as a preterist or a preterism. This view holds that all the events of Revelation already took place. That the first century hearers, they got this book and they witnessed it. They experienced it. And Revelation is done. And if this is true, well then, one of the consequences if this is true is this is no longer a practical book for us. 
it's already happened. It's a great narrative. It's a very beautiful story. If this is true, this is a beautiful spiritual way of describing something that already took place, and it's still awesome. It would still be one of my favorite books, but it wouldn't, we wouldn't be looking around for Antichrist. We wouldn't be looking to the future for, for certain events. It would be more of a historical, a beautifully told historical book. <coughs> Next is the futurist, or, or future. Now, this is by far the most popular view among evangelicals. I, I think the last survey I read, it was like 88% of American evangelicals hold to a view that the events of Revelation are future. They haven't happened yet. Now, it also means that they are all future. This, this view would mean that all of Revelation is future. Um, part of this, for some reason, I, I'm not even sure, this, this same people would say that Revelation is also more literal than symbolic, which again, man, is that terrifying. According to this view, one, one, one not so great thing about this view, and I agree with Vadi Bakum, who recently said this, and I've always thought this, well, if Revelation is completely future, if, if Revelation is a futurist book, then it has no meaning yet. It didn't mean anything to the people who read it. It doesn't mean anything to us to today. But hey, someday it's going to mean everything to somebody at some point. Maybe tomorrow, maybe 5,000 years from now, it'll have its meaning. But it's in the future. It's not for today. The third view is uh, the historic or historicist. Now, this view sees Revelation as coming to pass in human history. And so Revelation started, and this is unfolding in human history. And even this morning, we are somewhere on this chart that God knows about, and, Revel and we are participating in this, this story. Now, just like futurists, I told you it's going to be a lecture. Just like futurists, uh, the historicist views Revelation as being chronological. It's all chronological. We are at some point on, on some line that is happening throughout human history. And the fourth is the universalist. I should have put this up there. Um, it could also be called idealist. We might even switch to idealist moving forward. It's the same thing, universalist, idealist. Um, but being a universalist in other theological terms is a nightmare, so that's why we might get away from that term. But speaking of eschatology, the universalist believes that Revelation highlights the reality that exists between Christ's ascension to heaven, to the right hand of God, and we are living in the last days up until Christ comes again, the second coming. They believe that revelation has in some way, shape, or form happened, is happening, and will happen in the future. Therefore, there have been many Babylons and many Antichrists and many beasts over history. This view believes that revelation is not chronological, but it, that it's a cycle or recapitulation of repeating events that explain the history and nature of the church throughout history until Christ comes for it. Now, most scholars, theologians, 
um, expository pastors, they would land, and let me say this, in my circle, in my, in my limited circle, would land somewhere in a form of preterism or, or universalist or idealist. That, that is where a lot of the, the pastors land, right? The scholars. And that's where that fear comes in that I talked about. That there's a disconnect between the pastor and the person they are preaching to. Now I wanted to read something. I don't have it on, on a slide, unfortunately. I thought about this this morning. And I read this in a book um, on Thanksgiving Day. It was the only bad part of my Thanksgiving this year. But listen, and so this is a book by pastors on how to preach on Revelation. I was looking forward to this book. Like, here's how you preach the Revelation. Here's, here's just a great model for this. And this is what the author says. <clears throat> and we haven't even talked about the millennium yet. Um, so this person says, unfortunately, from my perspective, a lot of pastors are all millennialists, which is neither here nor, nor there this morning. But listen to this. Those beliefs don't preach as well. Futurist is the most exciting view, the most evangelistic, and the easiest to preach. Do you realize what he just said? This guy just said his, his circle, uh, 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 I'm not saying they're more educated in the Bible, but the scholars, the pastors, the people he knows hold this certain view, but don't preach that view. That view is harder it's not as exciting. I mean, if you can't get excited about preaching the book of Revelation, maybe don't be a pastor. This guy knew what Revelation meant and decided to preach it in a way that he knows, and there were several authors, was counter to what they agreed upon because it was easier and more popular. And I'm not going to apologize to say, I'm not going to give you the easier or more popular version. We will leave some Sundays with more questions than answers. It's going to be okay. It's going to be awesome. We're going to learn more about Jesus and ourselves. And so we have here only four of many, many views. And they are all completely different. They couldn't be more different. Right? They just head every direction, right? Which begs the question, all right, well, what am I going to preach? How are we going to go through Revelation? I'm not going to be one of those pastors who doesn't tell you and then just leads you to where I want you to go. It's like, see, I was right. We all agree. No, I'm going I'm to let you know today. <clears throat> so let, let's go through this uh, list again of the four. And so, the historic view. I believe there is strength of the historic view. Historic view says things have happened throughout history, in Revelation, have happened in human history. Where we leave, I would run from this view, is that it's chronological. It can't be. How would we know? This view assumes that, that white Christianity is the definitive Version, Because that's all we would know, right? How could we know everything that's happened everywhere out throughout human history in order to chronologically map it out? It doesn't make sense. There's not enough. Nobody has that information but God. 
So there's no way we could lay it out chronologically unless you're just talking about the history of the Western church. And so we will not be taking the historicist approach. So what about the past or preterist view? Well, this one's complicated. Let's talk about it. I don't think Revelation was finished by A.D. 70. I don't think that all the events of Revelation took place within the lifetime of the original hearers. Again, I would argue, you know, not meanly, but there's no way. The great white throne judgment, the new heavens? I mean, you got to get into some serious abstract symbolism and, and theological gymnastics to come to that conclusion. And if you're, a preter, if you're a full preterist, we can talk more about that. So we can't be a preterist, but as I believe most genuine preterists uh, uh, are, is that we can be a partial preterist, which is what I hold to. So what does that mean? It means I do believe that most of the events of Revelation happened to the original hearers. I think we'll see this clearly, that this, this book was practical to them. It was grace to them. It was God speaking to them and helping them out in their most desperate moment before everything broke loose, before Jerusalem was destroyed which aligns with much of what Jesus said. When you see these things happening, get out of town. It's going to get real bad, right? And it happened to this same generation that said, you know, when Jesus was crucified, his blood be on our head. And Jesus is like, okay. So all that makes sense. But I don't believe that all the events of Revelation happened to them. Again, I don't think so. I, I don't think that you can come to that conclusion. So I do think they experience revelation, but not completely. And I believe what happens after the letters to the churches, describing what's going to happen to them. I mean, because it's, it's a plain as day letter to them. I believe that's when the cycles start. When we see these cycles, this recapitulation that, that will happen um, over and over, which means that we are universalists or idealists in that respect. We will approach this book with the idea that it is not chronological. There's no way. How many times can Jesus come back? How many times can evil be defeated? You ever, if you look at, at some, when everything is laid out, and it doesn't make sense, because you're like, wait, Satan was defeated and Satan is unleashed? And so you have to do this crazy, again, theological gymnastics to come to this conclusion where there's all these gaps, you know, in there, and just the easy answer is, well, it's the answer that makes the most sense. It is not chronological. It is the story that's going to repeat itself. In fact, in Revelation, it repeats itself over and over with the bulls, right? The horsemen, right? The bulls, the horns. It repeats itself. And I think that is God's way of saying, look at, not just from different point of views what's happening, but look at the fact that this cycle repeats itself. And all throughout history, Satan has tried to destroy Christ's church, and he's defeated. Over and over, we can go throughout history, we won't do that this morning, we have plenty, we have months to go through this. But every time, Christ is victorious. 
You know, as Gianna, I don't know if it was yesterday or this morning pointed out to me, look at America. Like Christ, you know, the Catholic Church tried to destroy all the Christians. They fled to America, and what happened? Was the church destroyed? No. They sent missionaries all over the world and came here and formed the American church, which at some point was awesome, and sent missionaries all over the world. It wasn't destroyed. They tried to destroy it. And so this means that the original hearers experienced tribulation. That for them, the beast, to get ahead of myself, was the emperor Nero. But since then, there have been other antichrists. There have been other beasts. I won't name names this morning, but I may get a lot bolder as this series goes on. Look around our world today. You tell me if there aren't some beast-like, antichrist-like leaders oppressing their people, killing their people, killing Christians for their faith. But they will be stopped. <coughs> now, I think this is difficult to understand as Americans. I say that as, uh, as an American who loves being American, but we can't view Revelation from the comfort of being American, right? It's deceiving. We can't view it from America because we would say, well, we could say, well, tribulation passed, revelation passed, or it's way in the future. Well, then try going throughout history and telling Christians who died by all these governments and all these false churches that, hey, it already passed, or hey, don't worry, it's all future. Try going around the, the world today, as Christians will die today, by the hand of governments, by the beast, and by the har harlot, which is all the false churches. They're dying today. Go and tell them that Revelation isn't for today. Go and tell them they're wrong. Go and tell them, hey, don't worry, tribulation is a future thing, or, or tribulation is a past thing. No. I don't think so. Perhaps for the first time in a long time, this country is going to understand the urgency of Revelation and just how practical it is. And it's a very practical letter. Now, there are parts of Revelation that haven't happened yet. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that's just a fact that we would all agree on. For instance, we aren't, again, we're not in heaven. Satan hasn't been completely defeated. We've been out in public, right? So there's events in Revelation I'm certain haven't happened yet. Does that mean that we are a futurist then? No. Now, if there was a category that was partial futurist, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we jump on that boat, cross that bridge, but there isn't. And so we are not a futurist because we don't believe that everything Everything is in the future. I don't believe that. We believe parts are in the future. Definitely in the future. Praise God for that future. But if you go that route, again, it makes the most practical book in the Bible near useless. Unless you're part of one generation at some point. And so the view of Revelation that we are going to take takes place in the lives of the original hearers, for one, can we put up the chart? 
Uh, Gianna made this chart. I can never do this. This would take me like eight months to make. Um, and so Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, spoke to the disciples, gave us the Great Commission, and then he ascends to heaven, which begins, not to scale, the last days, which is what we are in now. The last days are from Christ's ascension into the second coming of Christ. Revelation happened to its original audience. It had to have. It meant something to its original audience. Can you imagine John showing up to those churches and just imagine, okay, let's just say uh, this is Thyatira, and I'm John, and, and you are the church of Thyatira. I don't, I don't remember what their sin is, so I'm not saying that you have that sin. Um, but, hey guys, guess what? God just showed me a vision. I saw Jesus in heaven, and he gave me this incredible message. He said, you have, you'll be blessed. Listen to me, you will be blessed. Keep what it says, you will be blessed. Right? And all you guys would be on the edge of your seats. Right? Tell us, John, what happened? What did you see? What did Jesus tell you? What if John told them, guess what? Two, maybe three, four, five thousand years from now, something big is going to happen. Right? Everything in you says, that doesn't sound right. It's because it's not right. It doesn't make sense. It says they would be blessed. These things will soon take place. They will be blessed. They will suffer. They will be persecuted. And so it's, well, then how do we know it wasn't just for them? Well, we read the end of the book. What does it say? It starts with this will soon take place, and it ends with do not seal this book. It's going to continue to be useful. It's going to continue to be a blessing. Don't seal it. It's not over. And so that's why we would say, again, many, many of us agree with this. This isn't weird, but that we are in a series of events that repeat in Revelation. We are somewhere on this line before Christ's return. I hope we're like a day before, before he returns. I'd say today, like right before the Super Bowl, Right? I just offended some people. Um, right after the Super Bowl. Um, <clears throat> but Christ is going to return. And so we believe that revelation is taking place right now. And so what's the implication of that? We are in the middle of this crazy, beautiful, scary, practical story. All the messages of Revelation can be applied to us. We can approach the book of Revelation as a letter to Bakersfield. We can add an eighth church in there, right? To the church of Bakersfield or Kern County or to Vanguard. This is to the local church. This is the reality of what we live in. We are somewhere in the recapitulation of cycles, which Revelation points out by cycling everything. If it wasn't clear enough, Revelation repeatedly shows you this which says, look, this is going to happen. Now, one thing about that is it does get worse. If you've read through Revelation, it gets worse as it goes. So as it cycles, it will get worse to the point that Christ will come. Defeat Satan, defeat the beast, defeat the harlot, defeat death, judge everyone who's ever lived for everything, 
Christ will come for his church victorious over everything, take us to be with himself as his bride in the place he's prepared for us in the new heavens to be with him forever. Which means this is very practical. Which means we have to do the hard work. Right? Everything is at stake. Heaven. Everything is at stake. This is the letter. Every other letter of the, letter of the Bible, we, we, we take what can apply to us. Right? Like we talked about in James, where it says not all should be teachers. We're like, that's not a problem. Nobody wants to be a pastor. But everything else in that applied to us. And so we go through the books, what applies to us, what is cultural, what doesn't apply to us. Revelation not only applies to us, it is to us. It is to his church. The reason it says seven churches, again, we'll talk about this next week, it's not that there were just seven churches in Rome. We know that there's more than that we have record of. Why does it say seven churches? It represents all the church. It's the perfect number. It is God's church. It is Christ's church that is represented by the number seven. We are represented in that number seven in Christ's local church. Now, I hope this challenges you. Again, I don't know where you stand. Maybe today you've heard some things like, I have never heard that. That can't possibly be right. And if that's the case, if I've said some things to you this morning, you've never heard that before, then, then, then let me cash in some of my equity that I, that I may have gained with you in this past 14, 15 months. Because you know I'm not going to lie to you. You know, you know we're going to go through the hard stuff. You know I'm going to point you to Jesus. And so just bear with me. Let me show you how we come to this conclusion. I'm not going to tell you to believe what I believe. We will go over options. We will go over who believes what. And I'll tell you why if I come to a conclusion that's controversial that I come there. And if you don't, it's okay. All I care is that you are willing to suffer for Christ because he is worthy. Is Jesus worthy? That's the point. That's the point we want to arrive at. If I'm wrong about the rapture and it happens before I thought, praise God. Right? And so the secondary issues, we can't get lost in them. This is what's going to happen. Do we know ex every exact symbol and moment? No, we don't. We have some good ideas, but we don't know, and it's going to be okay. Be okay with that. The book of Revelation is the definitive practical guide, right? You know, even like a bridal guide. Prepare the bride for the marriage right, ceremony to be with Christ forever, to be his bride. That's what this is. How to prepare to be the bride when, oh, when the apocalypse is happening, right? Not, not that, that weddings aren't already stressful, but the apocalypse is happening and Christ wants to prepare his bride for himself. This is the story that ends with Jesus being victorious and us being victorious with him. Him being victorious and inviting us into his victory, right? As, as the Perugia mentions uh, in the New Testament where, where this being caught up in the sky, what is that being caught up in the sky? That's a Roman victory parade. Right? That's what Perugia means. You leave the city and come in with the victorious conquering king. It says we'll be caught up in the sky and come usher down with him in his victory. This is the victory of Jesus and us not only just celebrating with him like, like a spectator in a parade, but on the float in his arms. Right? This is, this is insane. This is beautiful. And so the question this morning, church, is are we ready to be blessed? then we need to do the work. Is Jesus worth it? He is. 
then let us read aloud and understand and keep what is written, for the time is near. Let me pray for us. Lord, <clears throat> what, what a beautiful, practical book this is. We come to you, Lord, asking for wisdom. So much evil has come, bad come from studying this gloriously good book. When people divide and hate each other over interpretations, may you give us wisdom to know what is true about this book and where the blessing is and, and how to be ready to suffer for you, how to be your church how to understand why the world for just has laws that are going to be anti-Christian. And that doesn't make sense, because why aren't they doing that to every religion? Well, this book tells us. Help us to understand that and to count ourselves as being unworthy, Lord, of how worthy you are. Because you are one. You are worthy, Lord, to break that seal, to unfold history, to bring your church to you worth is in the worth that you give us. So we thank you for calling us but Lord, help us during this season to be okay with being confused one Sunday. As long as when we get through this book, we are not confused that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to the church that he loves to be with him forever and to spread his gospel in the midst of people who We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.